you are listening to This Book I Read, a podcast from Beyond Cataclysm. Welcome to This Book I Read, a podcast from Beyond Cataclysm, where we talk to authors about a book that has stuck with them through the years, for good reasons, or sometimes bad ones. My name is Chris He Him, also known as C.M. Lowry. I love to read and write science fiction, microfiction, anything really. Find out more about me at allaboutchris.org or on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram as at CM Lowry author. However, this podcast is not really about me. It's about my guest. I am excited to bring Jacob to the show. Hello, Jacob. Hi, Chris. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. My name is Jacob Wood. He's slash him. I am a blind tabletop game designer and writer living in the state of Kentucky in the United States. Um, and I uh, am also an avid reader. I've been reading since before I can remember. Uh, and certainly even to this day, um, some of those books that I've read in my early years continue to stick with me. So um, super excited to be uh, talking to you today. Indeed. And, and why are you here? Well, there's this book I read. So, Jacob, what book have you brought for us today and why? Today, it's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And I brought this book because it's one of those that has really stuck with me for the last uh, more years than I care to mention. Um, I first picked it up when I was in high school at the recommendation of one of my English teachers. And I didn't think I was going to like it at the time because I wasn't into horror books, wasn't into horror movies. But it was such a good read, and I'm glad that it did. He told me that it was more of a fantasy novel with a kind of a horror bent. Um, and I loved fantasy. I read a lot of Dragonlance at the time. Um, and so when I read Frankenstein, um, it just pulled at me in so many different directions. And the more I've thought about it over the years, the more I've added my own angles to it and thought about it in different ways. So uh, when you and I were talking before about books that we love and enjoy. Um, Frankenstein just comes up to me and uh, it, it continues to sit with me as one of my favorite books. Um, not one of those that I've read like a thousand times, but I've read it enough. And I've, uh, you don't necessarily need to read it a thousand times for it to really stick with you. And that's one of the things that I love so much about it. Yeah, it's one of the kind of the classics that I. There's so many classics I haven't read, yeah. uh, but it's it's one of the classics I have. I, I think it it stands out also for kind of the time it came out, for how kind of advanced it was by being for being written by a woman as well, like in a in a, right. in, a, yeah. in, a in a world that wasn't very kind of pro that sort of thing. I think it's I think it's groundbreaking. It, it's probably most famous these days for people being pernickety and pointing out that it's not actually. That the monster is called Frankenstein's monster, and that the monster isn't called Frankenstein is the the seems to be the commonest time that's it's right. actually mentioned in popular culture these days. 
Yeah, and I think that has to do with a lot of the backlash that has arisen over book snobs like myself who um, want the story to be told the way that it was written and people who are really only looking at it from maybe the perspective of the old silver screen movies from the 1920s and 30s where nobody really understood that Frankenstein was the doctor and not the monster. Uh, It's just so easy to kind of shortcut um, how we talk about the book and the characters by saying, oh, that's a Frankenstein. Um, But you're right. It's popularly nowadays um, really, I guess, kind of looked at in a way that says, well, I've read the book, so I know that Frankenstein's monster is the monster and Frankenstein is the doctor. Uh, And if you haven't read the book, then maybe you don't know that. And you should get off my lawn because uh, you're not good enough to be with me. And so there's, I don't know if that's necessarily the best uh, way to approach looking at such a classical book. And so just um, but for our readers who haven't read it uh, and have presumably thus have to get off your lawn, um, how, give us a brief synopsis of the, the storyline. Sure. So one of the really neat things about Frankenstein is that it's told in um, kind of a scaffolded way. So technically, the book is about a doctor who's writing letters to his cousin about this incident that had happened with uh this this creation that he had made um and then it goes out from there and kind of pulls back to well really it's a book about a um ship's captain who discovered victor frankenstein the doctor um as he was kind of lamenting the loss of everything that he held dear just before he passes away. And it really, it, it's this, if you boil it down, it's a story about a ship's captain who discovered a guy floating on an iceberg. But it's all told kind of historically from Frankenstein's memory. Um, and it goes into this story about how um, Frankenstein, the doctor, um, had gotten really obsessed with this idea that he could create new life. Um, so he raided a bunch of graves in the dark of night and p- pulled together pieces of bodies and corpses. It's all very macabre, uh, which was the point of it at the time, was to be a scary story. Um, and Frankenstein had, um, through all sorts of mad science, had uh, created this living creature. But once the creature awoke, he realized that uh, what he created was um horrifying uh it disturbed him to look at and he knew that it wasn't going to blend in with society at all it was so he shunned it he rejected the the monster as he called it um but as it turns out the monster even though it looked ugly and it looked disfigured uh it might have looked terrible to the eye um it was just a person inside like anybody else and so there's another part of the story that goes further down that kind of scaffolding rabbit hole where the monster tells about life from his perspective, where he um, hid in a, a shack or something and watched a family and learned from them. He he learned how to read and speak. He learned how to behave. Um, he actually showed that he was quite intelligent. But um, when he started to feel very lonely, he approached this family 
um, who he had grown to love, you know, in his time watching them. And they shunned him immediately. They thought he was a horrifying monster and um, ran away from him. So, I mean, I I think I'm, I think a lesson for, I think a lesson for a lot of us is, you know, if you secretly observe a family for a long period of time until you fall in love with them, and then you introduce yourself to them, they may not love that. <laughs> it's true. That that's a story that's <laughs> all on its own. We shouldn't stalk people. So the family rejects him. And he turns um, from seeing what's good in the world to seeing more of the evil side of the world. And if he can't be happy, he's not going to let anybody else be happy. And he makes it his mission to make his creator um, as miserable as he was. And he goes about destroying everybody that Victor Frankenstein held dear, uh, including his um, brother, I think, and his wife, Elizabeth. Um, And so. Victor, the doctor, makes it his mission to hunt down the monster and destroy him. Um, and there, there's just so much more to it than that, I guess. But um, long story short, it's about a scientist who got in over his head, created something that he probably shouldn't have, then refused to acknowledge that creation, which then kind of rose up and turned on him. And in the end... Nobody won because the doctor died and the monster died. Well, the monster went off and said, I'm I'm going to die. I'm going to die a lonely death on an island or something. Uh, build myself a funeral pyre. Um, it's kind of a tragic story in that all of the main characters are dead by the end of it. I, I mean, you say um, kind of a tragic story. <laughs> like, uh, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of positives. Like. That's fair. I diminish. <laughs> it's a very tragic story. Um, but it also has a lot of key takeaways for us. Like you said, we shouldn't stalk people, but also there's the philosophical angle to it. Um, you know, whose responsibility is it for a creation turning evil? Is it the creation or is it the creator? Um, and that sort of topic has been explored in popular media and popular culture. Um, certainly ever since this book was published, I can think of several instances where, um, it's shown up. Uh, and really, what responsibilities do we have to take care of the things that we create? Um, it's particularly salient nowadays, I think, with the creation of things like ChatGPT, where we're unleashing these things in the world and we don't really know what we're doing with them yet. Well, we're, we're and... only going to do this podcast for another six months and then we're just going to let ChatGPT just generate <laughs> it for us. So it'll be easier that way. Precisely. That, that was a jo- that was a joke to any <laughs> listeners, but probably all the listeners have also been replaced by AI, AI robots now. So uh, right. we're just screaming They're into just... the void. <laughs> okay, then a quick quote now for our listeners, uh, and this is going to be taken from. The monster, uh, when he's when he's sort of reflecting on on where he is and where he could be, and, and having a look at that disparity. Hateful day when I received life, I exclaimed in agony, accursed creator, 
Why did you form a monster so hideous that even you turned from me in disgust? God, in pity, made man beautiful and alluring after his own image. But my form is a filthy type of yours, more horrid even from the very resemblance. Satan had his companions, fellow devils, to admire and encourage him. But I am solitary and abhorred. Just a snippet there. Um, just sort of that one of those moments where the where you've got the a real you can really come to terms with the idea of the creator being being the doctor and his creation being so frustrated frustrated with. What's your favourite thing about the book? What do you because you've come back to it many times? What mm-hmm. what is it that brings you back? I think the fact that the book is layered in so many ways uh, makes it like like an onion or an ogre where you have to peel back the layers. Like a, I got like uh, an and, onion, like an ogre. I've never heard that. The oh, have you not seen the movie Shrek? Uh, yeah, I have, but I've forgotten about. I've forgotten about that. Oh, bit. I, I have. I like have onions. I have small children, so I have I, all of those Pixar and whatever films have just blended into a kind of <laughs> Anto world of singing voices from Frozen. So uh, yes, like an ogre or an onion, lots of layers to peel back. Yeah, and and so every time you revisit the book, there's something new that you can uh, uncover, and. As myself, I've um, I'm legally blind, and my vision has progressively gotten worse over time. So when I first read this book at the age of sixteen, there was no like disability angle to it at all. It was just a really fun kind of fantasy horror story. Um, as I've revisited the book as an adult, I can I can see more of that angle of um, rejecting people for looking different um, or being different, behaving different in some way, not blending in with society, not fitting in with um, the the typical folks, um, not being neurotypical, uh, not being physiologically typical. Um, there, so there's a lot of a lot of ways that people can sympathize with the monster, even who aren't disabled. But then, as you become disabled. Uh, it feels like he can sympathize with the monster even more. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I condone his behaviors of going off and murdering people and destroying Victor Frankenstein's life. But he's a one of those villains who has like a tragic backstory that you can identify with. And so it makes the villain that much better. And really, there's a debate about who's really the villain. Is it the monster or is it Victor Frankenstein? Um. And there's no one right answer to that question. Uh, perhaps they're both villains. I mean, it is. It is a. It is all of those. You know, we, there's been a lot of conversations about privilege. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you know, and kind of the opposite of privilege as well. I I, I do a lot of community work on a deprived <laughs> estate in in the north in the northwest mm-hmm. of England, um, and we see a lot of people who you know, there's lots of crime involvement and parental, you know, bad parenting is modelled. Yeah. We see quite a lot, and there's lots of problems there. And there is there's a real chicken or egg situation, you know, in terms of it's very easy to look at people making poor decisions and say, well, stop making poor decisions. But they've had so many years of poor right. decisions landing on them, poor circumstances. And and so for the monster, you know, 
even try it sounds like you know tried to do the the right thing well you know in as much but no one ever taught the monster you know don't go and spy on a family you know as, right. as, as an example there you know um so yeah very very interesting If you don't mind a personal question, do, of course. Do, you, do you ever feel seen like a monster? Not really like a monster. You're very attractive. I'm not really saying it in that. <laughs> as in, but you, that, that when you said that, that there's that disability lens that you come to mm-hmm. it now that you can relate to. How does that? Yeah, so it's an interesting dynamic. Um, on the one hand, I've never been more visible in my life than when traveling in a city with my white cane on my own. Um, people don't tend to see me as kind of the monster so much as the cane that I use. And it's interesting that the majority of people who I interact with are more sympathetic in a way that is sometimes overbearing. Um, I, I really dislike it when somebody decides that, uh, they need to come up and grab my arm and help me across the street when I wouldn't be traveling alone in the city if I couldn't get across the street on my own. Um, so there's a different kind of like unconscious prejudice that they display, even though they believe they're trying to be helpful. Uh, but with that being said, um, I'm also a heavy metal head. I have a long, I have very long hair and a very long beard. And people have always looked at me kind of from a weird angle, just from how I look. Um, And there are certain people who you can tell that like, there's a disconnect in their mind between a guy who looks like me and somebody using a cane. Like, do I help this guy? Or is he going to be like some weird heavy metal guy? Um, So I have multiple layers to my own, (laughs) my own identity. Um, and oftentimes the, the blind cane wins out and people will approach me and, and offer assistance. But, uh, oftentimes just like the doctor, maybe they're putting their assistance out there when it's not needed or wanted. Um, not that I don't mind if a person asks, but I certainly don't like it when a person just takes control and tries to be the one who, um, makes the decisions because it's my life and it's not theirs. And there are some random stranger that I just met. So in that way, um, not that they're necessarily as vile as what the doctor did, but it's um, adjacent to the doctor deciding that he can create wife, he can or life, he can play God, right? Um, he can just make this decision unilaterally and impact somebody's life um, without even stopping to think about the consequences. Do you have any problems or challenges uh with frankenstein i think the biggest challenge is that and this is this is one of the things that makes frankenstein such a enduring classic but there is no there's no real clear-cut moral outcome um it's very ambiguous what uh, Mary Shelley, who Mary Shelley wanted to be 
the protagonist or if she indeed even wanted a protagonist at all in the sense that um, there's a hero to root for. Uh, I kind of sympathize with the monster, but again, what he did in destroying Victor Frankenstein's life um, is not something to sympathize with. Um, on the other hand, I can also sympathize in some instances with Dr. Frankenstein. Um, you know, being obsessed with something and wanting to create is uh, kind of the curse of any creative type like myself. Well, I mean, uh, I'm a writer talking, and a creative. And, yeah, you're talking someone yeah. running a micro publisher. I mean, what even is that? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so I get from his perspective that um, there are certain things that catch your attention and you obsess over them. Um, I guess the real lesson is to think before you act and certainly consider the ethical implications of anything that you do. Um, but there's no, there's no clear-cut answer in this book that tells you what you should do. It just raises a lot of questions that people have debated for the last almost 300 years. Uh, and I don't think the debates are going away anytime soon. And again, that's what makes it such an endearing book, but it also makes it such a... A difficult book to discuss at times because there is no one right answer. Yeah, I think um, I think what I like, you know, there's a lot of books out there that that um, that have interesting concepts and and a lot of you know a lot of metaphor or ways that you can apply to our world. One I think of, I had to read in school was uh, L. P. Hartley's The Go Between, um, mm. which tells this big this big metaphorical story. Um, of a of a forbidden relationship and and the weather mm. is a big metaphor throughout the book you know like storms come and hot weather and but um mm. but my fundamental issue with it is that the actual story underlying it is quite tedious and like it's it's a fairly boring story of of a of a schoolboy spending a hot summer and just that's about it whereas what mm. i like about frankenstein is you've also got some really cool kind of like before steampunk was steampunk you know like yeah. as in because it's 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 written in in 1818. So like when we have steampunk now, like it, steampunk's always got this vit Victorian esque vibe to it. But mm -hmm. but this is steampunk, but it wasn't actually. It was it was set in the modern day. You know, like the the, yeah. the whole narrative that's set with with letters going between people. Well, that was their that was their equivalent of TikTok or whatever. Um, right. And and so. Yeah, what I like is, you know, I think it ends in the Arctic or Antarctica with yeah. them like pursuing yeah. the beast and 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 actually it's it's quite there's quite a lot of there's quite a lot of drama and interesting you could take you could take the interesting uh moral questions out of it and you'd still have quite a fun story sitting in underneath mm -hmm. there. Yeah, for sure. Are there any, um, uh, do you think there's anything that's dated particularly badly from it? I don't, I don't think there is. Um, maybe there's some language that we wouldn't use nowadays. I can't think of any offhand. Um, but it's certainly a product of his time in the way that it's written and the language it's used. But I think, again, what makes it such an endearing classic is that these concepts are universal and timeless. And even though, like you said, um, people are writing letters to one another instead of sending an instant message or a text message, um, 
that doesn't necessarily remove the humanity from the story. It doesn't take it to a time or a place that doesn't make sense anymore. I think everybody can continue to identify with it in some way or form. Oh, I think, I mean, I think it adds humanity. I think one of the things historians are going to have a problem with now, you know, if you go to, if you look at somebody from the 1800s, a famous person, you've often got their correspondence recorded to kind of get an idea of their thoughts. If you looked at mine, you'd have, you know, if you looked at our, our life, like our relationship, it's, it's a flurry of, you know, we remember having a conversation about Frankenstein a year ago. And I had a quick look through our messages and I couldn't find the, the crux of the whereas if we've been right. communicating by letter those letters would be interesting to read in and of themselves uh so yeah. I, i'm just an old stick in the mud basically and i i just want to want to head back to that that stuff um do you have any other recommendations? If people have liked Frankenstein, um, anything else that you'd recommend they read? I think one of the things, for me at least, that makes Frankenstein stand out is that it it is kind of, I don't necessarily want to say unique because maybe that puts it on a pedestal, but I can't think of many books that are as thought-provoking. Um, there are other books that you might enjoy, like Bram Stoker's Dracula that are kind of contemporaries um, and also in that horror fashion. Um, there are books that are also thoughtful, like The Great Gatsby, which um, not necessarily my favorite book, but has a lot of different metaphors um, sprinkled throughout. It's got a lot of layers. Uh, but I can't point to one single book and say, if you love Frankenstein, you should read this, uh, because I don't think anything quite uh, encapsulated it the way that it does for itself i mean so i'm sorry i know it's kind of a non-answer well, but <laughs> I, I think i think that's 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 good isn't it i mean it's it's unique i think uh yeah i i probably i can't immediately think of anything that that absolutely uh you know that hits that hits both noses on the both noses both nails <laughs> on the head noses i don't you don't really hit noses with it i mean you can do Hopefully um, not. i well i hope just the let the take home lessons, dear listeners, are don't don't stalk families and then try and be their friends and don't hit people on noses. Uh, but uh, I I have a, a steampunk series um, that I really enjoy by uh, Joseph R. Lalo, uh, the the free wrench series um, that kind of lives in that world and and it has it has a it has this this idea of I'm trying to think what they call it. It's like the smoke. I think it is a, a big purple smog has come and taken over the the world and so the people are living in in airships above it but the okay. people who live in the smog have been changed by it and through the course of the series you know initially it's a very black and white stuff in the smog's bad it's not called the smog i can't remember what it's called uh, sure. but but the stuff in the the stuff down in the in the in the darkness and the the horribleness is just horrible and over the course of the the series it just becomes a bit more nuanced than that and i, uh, I and again i like it because there's there's some moral lesson there, not as strong and applicable as in Frankenstein, but also uh, it's got a great storyline, and you know I, I like steamship things, so that's uh, yeah, that sounds that's awesome. Good too. 
Fantastic. So that was Frankenstein. Jacob, tell us a little bit more about what you do. Oh, sure. Uh, I am a tabletop game designer and an accessibility advocate. I started Accessible Games in 2010 as a way to uh, bring up the topic of disabilities in tabletop role-playing, because at the time, I was struggling to find anything along those lines for myself. And I wanted to kind of be that change in the world. So since then, I've been um, writing about accessibility and role-playing. I've been publishing games. And in 2020, I began a magazine called Accessible Gaming Quarterly. So every three months, we put out a new issue, and we address all sorts of topics related to accessibility, disability, diversity, and inclusion as they relate to tabletop games. Um, and that can all be found at my website at www.accessiblegames.biz.biz. Indeed. Um, Jacob was the uh, was the accessibility consultant on my uh, my first kind of big published game, um, Tyrannosaur Inside. Uh, and actually, we have a screen reader friendly version available for every game that we have uh, released. Um, yeah. yeah, which is is an important thing to do. Uh, I think uh, it's easy for us to easy for us to just completely lose lose sight of these things sometimes. Yeah, sure. Even there, there we go. <laughs> Accidentally dropping in those uh, dropping in those things. Yeah, uh, it's I, part of the language. Um, it, it definitely takes uh, a concerted effort to change the way we speak sometimes. Yeah, um, but I I also accessible gaming um, quarterly. Is a good read as well, uh, so I would I would thoroughly recommend that to anybody who wants to pick it up. Have you? When's your? Have you got another Kickstarter planned for that? Um, I just wrapped up one in February, uh, and we kickstart every year, so it'll be probably next February before I run another one. Um, but if people want to support me financially, just buying a copy of the zine is always helpful. Um, it's available through uh, links from my website. It's a Dragster RPG. We also need to get some copies in the store uh, on the Beyond Cataclysm website. So uh, oh, yeah, sure. watch this space for that happening as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Uh, this has been a podcast from Beyond Cataclysm. Uh, we do lots of episodes like this. We also have another podcast called What is Roleplay, where we look at RPGs with various guests from a beginner-friendly sort of approach. If you have enjoyed listening today, I ask for two things, please. One, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts because it helps us with the magic algorithm and means that we'll all become millionaires overnight or something. Um, Also, we uh, have a Patreon, uh, which our aim for 2023 is to be able to to sustainably pay Dave, who edits all of our podcasts and does various bits of in-house editing, beautiful stuff on the website, uploading millions of pictures. Dave is amazing. Hey, Dave. Exactly. And Dave is the face on why you should support Beyond Cataclysm. We believe in making awesome things with awesome people. And some people are not privileged, like I am, to be able to do this stuff at no cost to themselves. And so the more we can support creatives doing cool creative things the better so that's wonderful patreon.com forward slash beyond cataclysm uh you can also buy various things that we make and that other people make at beyondcataclysm.co.uk and that's everything thank you thanks for listening (laughs) 
just listened to This Book I Read, hosted by me, C.M. Lowry, and starring Jacob Wood. Find out more about us, our podcasts, opportunities for submissions to our projects, and more at beyondcataclysm.co.uk. Thank you.